Hey, this is Malcolm Brogdon, and this is the Sideline Guys Podcast. Well, the time of the year that we've been waiting months for has finally arrived. Welcome into the Sideline Guys, powered by Gainbridge, the second time uh, we now get to say that. Alongside in person, Jeremiah Johnson, one of the handful of times we've been able to say that uh, over the last couple of years, I'm Pat Boylan. We welcome all of you into what is essentially the season premiere edition of the Sideline Guys, powered by Gainbridge. As we are taping this, we are fresh out of practice. The team has hit the plane. They are on their way to Charlotte. There's a lot to discuss, both uh, positively, some causes for concern, especially on the injury front. But here we are as we're taping this a day away from the season opener. Where do you stand as the Pacers get ready uh, to play a game here that counts? I want to start my portion of this podcast by passing along some kudos. And I want to start with the fine folks at Gainbridge. Gainbridge Fieldhouse, we're across the street from right now. I love hearing you say the Sideline Guys podcast powered by Gainbridge. We'll be sure to do what we can to make it worth your while, Gainbridge. And also I want to say thank you to... The fans that are listening, because as you have mentioned a time or two of when we created this podcast and came up with the idea, I think we've got a decent following, and I'm looking forward to having it be more regular now that the season has started, have more guests, have more insight, and I think have a better show now. We were able to do what we, the best we could last season via Zoom and virtually. Uh, technology has made it to where, much like anything else, I think you can do maybe 90% of the job that you, you hope to do virtually and via Zoom, but nothing can take the place of that human interaction, the eye contact. I can look at you and I can have a better <laughs> podcast. I can see when you're smiling or I can see when you maybe would raise your eyebrow. And by the same token, I can also see that from players and coaches that I interview. I can get that personal vibe. So I'm going to make this point or make this statement that my interviews this season on Bally Sports Indiana, they're going to be better. We're going to have a better pregame show. We're going to have a better podcast. And it's going to be a more enjoyable season to watch for a number of reasons, but not just because things are a little bit more back to normal. You did say the team is now on its way to Charlotte, and I am not. That's okay. I think we're going to still have some really good broadcasts for those road games as we start the season on Bally Sports. And I'll just say that I have a similar level of excitement for the start of any new season the day before the opener as I have had in any of the previous eight seasons. I think having, uh, you know, just the players back and in practice and being able to go to those, uh, I think that perhaps impacts your and I jobs as much as anybody's because so much of what we do from a sideline reporter perspective is getting insight in practices, being able to talk to the players. There's just something you miss over Zoom. And I think as much as anything, like this podcast benefits from it. Because I remember last year and, and even in the restart, especially in the restart down in Florida, we're trying to come up with, you know, we, we like to throw in some anecdotes and some stuff that we don't always get the time. Um, if you're just, you know, joining us here for the first couple of times, we like to toss in um, some stuff that we get that we don't always get to use on air because we have timelines there. Um, and that it became a lot tougher all of a sudden when the closest we could get to somebody was like computer screen to computer screen. So I'm really excited here as we open up the season um, just to have in-person interviews back, um, to have our seats back, uh, you know, near courtside back. There's so much that I think I'm going to be sitting beside you. At yes, games. that's exciting. That that's is. exciting. And the new the new layout, like we both move a little bit um, it, like we go back a couple of rows because now there's a few rows of seating, but actually closer to center court. And I think, you know, we'll still work on, um, you know, getting insight from the huddles and all of that and all that's a work in progress but yeah if I have something I need from you or if I have a question or something you pick up I usually had to text you because you're a little <laughs> bit down the way and then there's always this constant flow of traffic so it would be hard to get to you I think more often than not though it's the other way around because your computer is always up <laughs> in basketball reference you're a lot more efficient at finding things than I am so I would text you hey that seemed like a lot of second quarter points where did that rank in franchise history now I can just have you do the dirty work for me so I'm really excited about that <laughs> well having a second person with some of those thoughts you know is helpful too because you're trying to do a broadcast and you're, I'm you know I'm trying to listen to Mark you're trying to listen to Chris and Quinn and do your own thing and as many people that can think of oh that's interesting can you put it into context I think it's certainly helpful and here's one other thing I did want to say about our seat yeah if the preseason game is any indication I will have you to my left and Nancy Leonard to my right <laughs> 
So, I mean, I've got all kinds of basketball knowledge yep. just right there, if that's her same seat. And I enjoyed actually watching the preseason game on Friday against the Cavaliers. And it wasn't a great watch from a Pacers fan perspective. A lot of injuries. The Cavs won by a significant margin. The shooting percentage was down. Let me tell you, Nancy is as fired up as ever <laughs> watching these games. And when the shots don't go in, she's frustrated like any Pacers fan. So, there may be a time this season where if, if the game, you know, needs a little added entertainment, I may just hand her my microphone. I Well, look, you've definitely got insight to your right, that's for sure. And <laughs> I, I will tell you, unfortunately, for the, the Friday game, we had some technical difficulties that are now fixed and will be fine for the opener. Um, and I wasn't able to be down there for Friday's game. I was on Wednesday. But there was just, I mean, my heart, what's the, what's the, um, the Grinch, the Grinch quote, like my heart grew three sizes just seeing Nancy <laughs> back and in the field house. And, uh, you know, it's been so long and, and obviously, um, you know, so sad to lose Slick. But to have Nancy, I mean, if there's a sign, a single sign out there that we are getting a lot closer to normal and we're, we're right, you know, on the borderline of normal, it's Nancy Leonard back sitting near courtside and just, just having her presence back there. Um, is so great to see, and and I did notice I was I was watching down there in envy, wanting to be down there for Friday night's game, and I saw you I saw you more than once uh, over there getting some insight for Nancy. So we'll see we'll see where she actually sits when those seats are a lot more full. But I think very fair to say um, that she'll be down there, and that's that's a presence as much as anybody I think over the last couple of years uh, I've missed is Nancy's. We have a lot to talk about with the with regards to the team and training camp ending and the start of the regular season but I did want to get your thoughts on just having broadcast those first two home games and Gainbridge Fieldhouse not full because it was a preseason game but we're expecting a gold out on Saturday what did you think of the new digs yeah well you know first of all I think the arena looks great I think they've done a fantastic job especially when you consider the fact that you know round one of renovations was right about to start when COVID hit so that was a massive obstacle Mel Raines of course Rick Fusen oversees all of this um, and had that job for such a long time I mean they've done a fantastic job I think the place just looks magnificent and there's still one more round um, of renovations still to be done next year before I think the field house is is fully complete um, and there still are you know some signs of construction right like there are there are some things in the main building that um, y you can still tell they are finishing up here for the start of the season but I will just say you know to not only have our seat back but to get games back in the field house look the preseason probably felt a little bit more like last year in terms of attendance wise than the regular season will to the preseason. Um, I think we had maybe like 6,000 or so around there, which would have been a high number last year, but everything just felt more normal. And from an on the court perspective, you know, I think my biggest takeaway is probably what most of the fans biggest takeaway was in just how comfortable Chris Duarte looks, um, how in flow he seems. It just looks to me like he's been doing this for four years. And look, he's 24. Um, if he looked like a 19-year-old, I would say that would be troubling. So, um, you know, you wanted him. If, if you're going to draft a guy at 24, you need somebody that's going to look close to ready. But from an individual player, you know, this is this is kind of an interesting team because just about all these guys, you know what they do. There's still a lot up in the air. What will Rick Carlisle's influence be? Can they stay healthy? Uh, if they get healthy or close to healthy, um, how do all these, you know, having potentially five top 50, 60 players, whatever you want to call it, and not a superstar. I think it's a fascinating experiment that the NBA hasn't seen in quite some time, and we'd all love to see it. Health is obviously the biggest storyline, but it really is probably these couple of rookies um, – in, in terms of Duarte and Isaiah Jackson that you're the most intrigued with because those are your big unknowns. And I think Jackson at times definitely looks like a 19-year-old, but the whole thing's fascinating to me because you have two guys on completely opposite spectrums. Like Chris Duarte is 24 and Miles Turner's 25. I mean, and, and Turner's in year seven and Duarte's a rookie. Um, and he looks, to me, ready to go right now. And I'll be interested to see you know how much higher he can push um, his ceiling, if you will. Jackson, I think, is still very much a work in progress, but definitely shows flashes. But I'll admit, I was a little concerned when I saw that Doug McDermott wasn't coming back. And I don't think that Chris Duarte necessarily has answered that question yet. I think that's impossible to do in summer league and in, and in training camp and in the preseason. But I am a lot more um, hopeful that he'll be able to fill that role and you know he's supposedly been a really good defender so far perhaps even provide things um, you know that 
maybe Doug wasn't the best at there and fill that role, which the Pacers, I mean, they desperately need quality from the guards and the wings right now because that's where all of the injuries are. It is not surprising that you mentioned Chris Duarte in one of your initial observations because in any beginning of a season, fans will look to who's the new player, who's the guy that wasn't wearing our uniform that now is that is expected to contribute, and it's so rare that there are really just three of those players. It's Isaiah Jackson, it's Chris Duarte, it's Torrey Craig, and the rest of the roster is pretty much uh, returning intact. So my focus in watching some of the practices during training camp has really just been on this coaching staff, and I've been really impressed watching them operate and seeing how well they work together. And, uh, you know, we are blessed, and I'm blessed to be able to watch some of the practices um, and inside the Ascension St. Vincent Center, and I've really just appreciated the ownership that each coach has taken over maybe a certain aspect of the game or whether it's maybe a certain drill. And, I, and I've watched Rick Carlisle, and you think about all the basketball that he has um, taken in, he has participated in as a player, and then all the years as a coach in this league, you think of all the things that he's learned, things that work well, things that don't work well, things that he gets to try now because, in effect, he is – starting new he is back in indiana for the third stint one time as an assistant then as a head coach now after a successful run with dallas back as the pacers head coach but i do get the sense that this was a right place right time thing for not just the pacers but for rick carlisle and i actually had a chance to speak with lloyd pierce a short time ago before the team left for charlotte and i asked him i said i don't want to put words in your mouth or maybe you to put words in Rick Carlisle's mouth, but do you think he's energized? And he did not even hesitate, and he said absolutely that this was a, a situation that had energized Rick Carlisle. He was looking forward to this opportunity with this group. You know, I think this roster, it's not just being back in Indiana around familiar surroundings, but I think that this team, as you mentioned, maybe the uh, no superstar, but a lot of really good players. Any coach, I think maybe if you told them, all things are being equal. You could win a championship with one superstar, two superstars, a bunch of role players, or a lot of really good players. You know, which would you prefer? Which would maybe be a better ride? And it's maybe a little bit less drama. Not to say, you know, there is any, you know, inherent drama when you have a superstar, but it just seems like that this is a group that gets along really well. Everyone's going to get along in training camp. So I'm not I'm not just kind of just randomly saying this. I understand that, but Think of all the experience Coach Carlisle has. And then the staff is a staff full of head coaches. So you can see that watching them operate with these different drills. And then, you know, to a man, I think there's a respect factor that's there from the staff. The players feel it. Uh, the coaches talk. The players listen. They are really busting it in practice. And I, I wish sometimes that a fan could see how hard they work in practice um, because there's, a I think, a misnomer sometimes in, during a game that, you know, you, you go through the motions for three quarters, you play in the fourth. That could not be further from the truth. And then when you see them practice as hard as they are practicing, you really see how special they are as athletes and as basketball players that this is the elite level. So I've just enjoyed watching all that. And I can't wait to see how, from a game-to-game -game basis, how this team continues to grow and how the staff will adjust as things go on. I think, uh, you know, we are now 15 minutes into this podcast. It's a good time to bring up probably the biggest news that's happened this week, which is the Malcolm Brogdon extension. And, you know, I'll admit this it caught me a little by surprise, not because the team would want him for two more years. I guess I just wasn't thinking uh, in that realm. You know, I, I, you tend to think of a lot of these extensions as once the rookies hit a certain point, Miles Turner needed extended, DeMontis Sabonis needed extended. Um, and so I was a little, you know, taken off guard by this. And in fact, you know, kind of some uh, perhaps some inside information, but we were um, about to interview Chad Buchanan for um, an interview that will air on the Bally Sports pregame that you're doing. And, um, you know, he was a little late to that interview and obviously, uh, you know, apologized. And then we found out, you know, what exactly was going on. And um, we're more than appreciative that Chad was willing um, to join us considering, you know, all, all the talks that he had been going through and all the significant decisions that he was a part of there. And from the Pacers' perspective, you know, they don't release terms of the deal. But, um, 
you more or less kind of hit the reset button on Malcolm Brogdon's contract. You signed him two years ago. This gives him two more years on the end of it. So you've got him for four more years. Um, and, you know, at, 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 at least the price he is at now, he's around, I think, the 50th highest paid player in the league, which I think is, is more than adequate for his skill set. And, um, you, you know, it gives a franchise, I think, even more stability. You know, you'd hate to have next year come around and then all of a sudden something like that, his deal is looming a little bit. Um, that won't be the case here, which I think um, is really good both from Alchemy and the franchise. Absolutely. And you think back to last season, and I think this is one thing that when the way the season ended and also with his injury at the end of the season, you kind of forget what numbers he was putting up last year. He was really mentioned alongside DeMontis Sabonis a month into the season, maybe even two months. If the Pacers had an all-star, who would that be? DeMontis Sabonis is a two-time All-Star, but the two seasons that Malcolm Brogdon has played with the Pacers, if injuries are not a factor, I think that there's a good chance he is at least an All-Star in one of those seasons. And I think the leadership, if someone asked me through watching training camp if there's a player that has impressed me the most, I actually would say Malcolm Brogdon. I think he looks fresh. He had a little bit of a shoulder um, injury the final week of training camp and did not play in those final two preseason games. Or did he play in three of the four or just the, the first two? Uh, he just played in the first the, two. Uh, missed the two home games. Yeah. So um, from what I saw, though, and you know, we don't yet know if Malcolm Brogdon is 100% available for Wednesday, but he did tell uh, the media on Monday that I'm going to play. So yeah. you, know, you take a player at his word there, and you feel really good about the, the shoulder injury is nothing to speak of, but uh, he embraces leadership. You need a, a vocal leader. He's actually that person. He's not just a quiet leader. He sometimes can be quiet, but I think that with with that contract now locked in and, and terms were not disclosed, you can see various reports out there. But um, this is this fits along with the rest of the team. I, I've I've given a lot of praise to the Pacers front office for having balance and not having this player that's overpaid because that can create jealousy in a locker room and maybe someone's not doing their part or earning their keep Malcolm said when you get a contract like this a lot is expected of you he embraces that but also I think the players will respect what he will do with that with that contract and the one thing he said after practice on Tuesday that I really enjoyed and it was one of the first things that he said is that I want to be here mm -hmm. <laughs> if you're a Pacers fan you know that is very important he's not going to be that guy that that has a little bit of individual success and then is seeking greener pastures. And I think he knows that too. You know, I, I think he's got tabs on what's, you know, happened here over the last six or seven years. The way the Pacers have been able, um, the front office has been able to maneuver around it is great. And he also listed, you were bringing up Lloyd Pierce there a moment ago. Um, you know, he, he first named Rick Carlisle as, um, you know, he is his deal is now basically um, in sync with Rick's, but also the experience that, somebody like Lloyd Pierce brings and he kind of brought him up individually on his own you think about where this coaching staff is and it has so much experience um, and and I think for a team especially where it is right now that's so important you've got a team that if they can get healthy there's not a whole lot of growing to do with most of these guys they you know you hope that each guy takes another step forward each year um, but none of these guys in the core healthy or uh, you know currently injured are guys that you go okay this could be maybe the year that they take that huge step they've already taken you know those major respective steps in their careers so having the stability having the experience and I'm not just talking about these two um, but you know Ronald Nord's been a head coach at the G League Jenny Busick's been a head coach in the WNBA Mike Weiner's done it um, at the summer league level so every single person um, on that staff knows what it's like to be a head coach and when we sat down with Rick Carlisle a month or so ago whenever that was he spoke to the importance of that that when he goes to his staff all of his staff know what it's like to be in Rick's chair and what you're looking for from your staff um, when you're in that chair and I think that experience obviously um, played favorable to Malcolm Brogdon and I just you know want to touch on a point that you just hit on I mean, go around right now if you have the time or, or whatever go to one of those real GM sites or or the sites that list the um, salary cap of all the teams and go around all these teams and I bet you two-thirds of them you can find somebody where you can find a player on there where you go, oh man, they're giving that guy this contract. 
and think about how long it's been since the Pacers have had a bad contract. When you're in this market especially, you can't afford to pay a guy a massive number or even pay a guy $20 million that's only worth $7 million and and miss on that. And I think something that maybe doesn't get enough credit, and look, I know last year was a disappointment, and I know, um, you know there's not a lot of people out there singing the Pacers' praises right now, but they're in the position they are to still have success here, and if they can get healthy under Rick Carlisle, um, you know, to maybe hopefully um, impress and surprise and be back in the mix and things uh, because they don't have any bad contracts. I mean, you might have to go back to like a Monte Ellis or something. The last time the Pacers had a deal that they probably down the line regretted. And that's so important, not only for right now, but even as you build for the future, there's no albatross. There's no guy that you have to pay a late first round pick to get out of his contract if you want to get where you are. So I think that's so significant, not only for the season that we're about to tip off, but any movement here within the year or any movement that comes, you know, in the next couple of years. The only contract for this year's team that, or at least salary cap space that I'm not in favor of is, is there still allotting some space to Monte Ellis. So, you <laughs> know, true. but you bring up, you, you make a mistake and I don't, I'm not going to say that was necessarily a mistake, but at the end of his contract, they chose to stretch that. And so a very small portion of the salary cap is devoted to Monte, but your point is well-made. And I think it's uh, something that, um, you have to do as a small market front office. Uh, we, we discussed a number of different ways to go forward with this podcast and moving forward this season. I think we're going to have some exciting new segments. I think maybe more player access, more guests. Uh, we'll continue to have plenty of sideline guy opinion. And I think that's one of the things that I enjoy is having this outlet to share my thoughts on the week that we saw, what is coming up, any additional observations maybe later in the season it'll be observations from the road but the pick three I think is a good way for us to continue to bounce around different topics and we'll do that on this show and we'll continue to do that moving forward but I wanted to do a pick three part two almost a pick six but it's two different pick threes so it's like the early pick three and then the late pick three and the early one is pick your three reasons for optimism from a blue and gold perspective and I'll let you Go first, Pat. Oh, you're giving me the easy one. You're giving me the <laughs> I layup. I set it up. I can't just start talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, thank you. And I, I think this one is probably obvious. The biggest reason for optimism um, to me is the coaching staff. Um, Rick Carlisle and the experience that we are talking about, um, this is not a negative comment on anybody else that's been there, but the Pacers have to have one of the most experienced staffs in the entire NBA, especially when you consider head coaching experience. Rick Carlisle has won a championship. He's had a ton of success throughout his career. And this franchise needed stability. You know, they took a shot last year. They tried something different, um, and it just didn't work out. And so now to be able to find somebody um, of the pedigree of Rick Carlisle that brings the stability, you know, he's just he's the same guy day in and day out. And he immediately earns your attention and your respect. And from a player's perspective, you know, I would guess there's probably a handful of coaches throughout the NBA that you go, OK, who are the guys that immediately when they walk into the room, um, they have your respect from the moment they s step inside that door and Rick Carlisle is amongst those names. And so I think he, I think the um, coaching staff around him, look, this has been a franchise that has had success over the last 20 years in, in most of those 25, 30 years. I mean, really, there was that one kind of downstretch in the um, mid-late 2000s, and that is really it. And why have they been so good for so long? because of their defense. And I'm not saying like this isn't a team that one day couldn't have like a top five offense and a top 15 defense and be really good that way. But that's where the Pacers have hung their hat on. This franchise has hung its hat on so long. And so um, to me, a lot of that, you know, the defense comes from a coaching perspective and a player buy-in perspective. And you've got a roster here that has been successful defensively, the core of it as recently as a couple of years ago. And I think what the coaching staff provides from an experience standpoint is certainly my pick, but if I were to be even more specific, I'm really optimistic. Maybe not right away. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me here in the first couple of weeks if they still struggled with a lot of these defensive aspects because they're trying to turn a lot around here um, in, a, in a short period of time, and they're trying to do it with some injuries. So I would say if there's a big number put up by an opponent in the first few uh, weeks of the season, don't necessarily start to say, you know, 
is this going to be improved? But I am ex- extremely confident um, that once we are into January, February, I hope we can roll this tape back or something then, um, that the Pacers will be back in being a top 10 defense again. It is crazy to me that we are preparing to watch Miles Turner's seventh season oh. <laughs> with I, the Pacers. I saw that in the in the um, training camp game notes, and I thought it was a typo. Like yeah. for the right when I looked at it, I thought it was a typo. There is no way it's year seven. And then I started thinking about it, and this is my eighth year, and As, he was exactly yeah. this is our eighth year in these respective positions, yeah. and so that first year was the year that Paul George was hurt and they did not make the playoffs and that led them to have the opportunity to have that lottery pick and to select Miles Turner and so his run has basically coincided with our run we probably started the sideline guys maybe after his rookie year I'm guessing I think so and so for my biggest reason for optimism it's rare on a question like this that I will go to a specific player and not maybe more of a theme but in watching and in talking with Miles Turner I am of the belief that the body of work we have seen is not all that Miles Turner is capable of. It's You look at his basketball reference and any of the sites that would list his stats, and it's crazy to me of how you know, you've had different coaches, you've had different styles, you've tried to do different things, but what he is is what, if just maybe look at the last four seasons, he's been pretty much the same from a numbers perspective, and I'm talking about offense, Every one of those seasons, the last four years, 12.7, th- 13.3, 12.1, 12.6, those are points per game. And then the other number that, um, you know, I, you could look at field goal percentages, which is very similar, but the one that I'm going to focus on is field goal attempts per game, 9.8, 10.5, 9.5, 9.2. I mean, they are virtually the same. You could look in, at Miles Turner and say he's an elite defensive player, This is who he is offensively. I am optimistic that we are going to see a different Miles Turner on offense this season. I expect those averages to go up both in attempts and in points. And if the field goal percentage cannot take a dip and be at least what it was and maybe even a little bit better, I think that is some scoring that they can make up for that they have not had in the past. And I think he is the kind of player that can really flourish – what he talked about and, and said after practice on Monday, uh, so many times Miles Turner comes over, meets with the media, or does a Zoom call, and all of the questions are about his defense and what he does on that end of the floor. Watch Miles Turner on offense. See him do things not just once or twice a game, but I'm, I'm going to say for the entire game, I'm predicting this almost, uh, you're going to see him do things that he has not done consistently in his career. And I think it's Rick Carlisle. How many times have we seen Dallas Mavericks work lob plays, you know, alley-oops, things yep. like that on a pick and roll that, that Miles has been kind of a pick and pop guy. We've seen flashes of him take it, take it and put it on the floor. We're going to see more of that. I'm not sure that the low post move is ever going to be his strength, but I'm not sure. I've heard Rick Carlisle have some famous comments about low post basketball isn't necessarily mm-hmm. a successful formula anymore. Mm-hmm. I do think that Rick Carlisle and Miles Turner, they can be a good fit. Miles is not content being a 12-point-per-game scorer and a, you know a guy that puts up nine shots. He's accepted that role. I'm not going to say that he's going to do things that will be out of uh, – you know that will cause the offense to bog down and he's selfish – but I think he thinks he needs to do more. I believe he needs to do to do more offensively. He doesn't need to be the fifth option of five when he is on the court. Sometimes you'd look at the box score at halftime, and he'd have one attempt. That's I don't think that's acceptable to Miles, and I don't think it's acceptable to this staff. So that is a big reason for optimism. He can make offensive improvement, which can make this team more difficult to defend. Yeah, I completely agree. And Pacers fans, while you're listening to this, if you are listening before Saturday, we want to remind you opening night presented by Gainbridge will be a gold out with each fan receiving a gold t-shirt. All right, if you want to be there and you don't have tickets, uh, they start at $9. I'm sure you can find a way to uh, to scrounge up 9 bucks. That's the price of what, lunch? Uh, I went to lunch the <laughs> other day down the street. I'm working on my advertising, if you can't tell. Uh, I went to lunch down the uh, the street the other day and paid 9.45 for something very very simple so that's lunch and we'd love to see you in the building and you're getting a t-shirt like where can you get a t-shirt for nine dollars so those are balcony tickets of course they're tickets uh at better at higher price points and um with better views but uh, we'd love to make this a sellout i know we've all been um dying for that i think that last regular season game before COVID hit was against Boston, and it was a great environment, and it's been since then uh, that we've gotten to see anything resembling that. Uh, so would love to have opening night to sell out. Pacers.com slash tickets is how you can be there, and uh, is it too uh, cliche if I 
make that my final point uh, of optimism going into this year. And, and I don't mean it in that like, oh, the feel good. We can't wait to have fans back in the stands. Don't get me wrong. I do. But this is a Pacers podcast where we're trying to talk about uh, the impact that uh, the, this might have on the team. Of course, you and I are going to love being back in the field house when it's loud again. And so uh, are all of you listening for those of you that the can players make players will Saturday. as well, though. Last year, the team went 13 and 23 at home. And it was the first time in 31 seasons, 32 seasons, that they had a losing record at home. I'm not going to make an excuse for that because every team had to play in the same scenario with a handful, or in some situations, zero fans. So it's not like the Pacers were shorthanded in a way that others weren't. But there, to, to me, the fact that the Pacers had a down year and also were 13-23 and 23 at home, and then also that coincided with all the weirdness of COVID – it's more than a coincidence. And look, I, I think this is a, when you look at how the Pacers have had success over the last 25 plus years, like they have been typically abnormally good on defense and abnormally good at home. And it's been, you know, can the road record be good enough to make up for this great home record? And, and look, I, I think one of the dynamics of COVID was I was interested to see just how powerful that would be. Cause how else do you get to test the the value of the fan, right? Like you never get this control group of games with very few fans in the arenas. Unfortunately, we had that last year, but it also allowed us to test the significance of you listening to this. And what we found out across the league is that it was, you know, it made a significant difference. I think from like 57% down to 52% of home teams won, but in the Pacers direct example, we saw a drastic change. So of course I can't wait for, you know, the defense chance to be coming out of the stands in the fourth quarter when the Pacers are up by two and there's 90 seconds left. Um, but I think that's going to have a more significant impact on the team than perhaps someone might think or perhaps an outsider might give credit for. And I think, you know, sometimes when a player answers a question after a practice, it can be a cliche answer. But I do want to tell you that when Malcolm Brogdon talked on Monday, the question wasn't necessarily – uh, it may have been something about the fans and, and playing at home this year, but I think it was really more of about a general thought about the team and the season. And he said, we are going to be a difficult team to play at home. We're going to have dominant home defense. And when you mentioned that defense chain, I thought about that. And, and really, I'm going to go back and listen to it now again at the conclusion of this podcast. But I think that there's a little bit of personal, not necessarily ego, but you know, pride about being a team that it's hard to play at Gainbridge Fieldhouse. And I think that the defense will be better. The record will be better. And overall, that can just make the whole record better. Now, is it going to be harder to win on the road? Perhaps. That's one thing yeah. that you'll have to balance with with that. But I think that's a good final answer to our pick three topic or question of what are three reasons for optimism. So let's see the other side of it. Not necessarily um, the op. The opposite of optimism is pessimism. I'm not going to give three <laughs> reasons for pessimism, but uh, reasons for concern is what I will say. Potential concern with this. Uh, and I'll actually start. And, uh, you know, I just mentioning Chris Duarte, you don't know necessarily whether he will start or come off the bench. I don't think anyone really knows with the injury situation of, of who will be in which rotation. But especially if, as we know now, you will not have T.J. Warren and – Karis Levert for the start of the season. And, and let's just even just project if everyone else is okay, you still have what I'm a little concerned with is a second unit rotation that, um, you know, at times last year, the Pacers second was really good. And at times the second unit struggled. And I think that's something that every team deals with, but you've got to have certain pieces in a five man combination to be successful. And so I'm a little concerned depending upon what that second unit rotation looks like, where scoring might come from. We saw Doug McDermott be a catalyst of that second unit from an offensive perspective last season. He would come into the game, he would get some shots, he would cut to the basket. He was an initiator of offense. Depending upon how Rick Carlisle uses the bigs, if you don't have one of your starting front court players as part of that second unit, okay, I'm a little concerned. And then if, Karis, if Chris Duarte is starting, and a lot of these are still hypotheticals, then he's kind of that scorer that you could maybe utilize off the bench. And if you put Torrey Craig in that spot, I'm a little concerned about the offense off the bench. So the second unit, I'm, I'm going to really be watching, not just in the Charlotte game, but in this first week, what do the rotations look like 
how is the tinkering to where you've got a starting group that you're com comfortable with, but then you've got a second unit and maybe it's parts of the first and the second unit that can achieve a level of success on both ends of the court, but specifically offensively. I'm going to piggyback off that a little bit, perhaps half cheat, because my answer is going to be along those lines as well. Uh, and that's, that's the biggest concern here to me is when you've got, and I'll stick with my analysis a little bit more on the starting five. Um, when you've got five top 60 players, whatever you want to call it, I think it's a fascinating experiment for what you can be. Like you've got in almost every scenario, when you're healthy, a better probably fifth guy than your opponent, a better fourth guy than your opponent, and in a lot of cases, I think a better third guy than your opponent, and it completely keeps teams from keying in on one guy. So, like, if they want to, you know, if they want to double team DeMontis Sabonis, fine. You want to play four on three with three or with four other top sixty guys. Um, that's a massive challenge, and I think all of that. I am a lot more optimistic for what it can be. I know teams that have won the championship over X amount of years dating back to Detroit. They've all had a quote-unquote superstar. But I'm also not sure you've seen many teams challenge that with the type of roster um, that the Pacers have. I think maybe one could be like the Utah Jazz, depending on where you put Donovan Mitchell uh, along those lines. And look, the Jazz were you know just the one seed a year ago. So I'm a lot more optimistic if they're healthy. But where my concerns start to be um, – is when you are playing in that type of setup, you can probably afford to lose one guy. But the moment you lose two, um, then all of a sudden your starting five that is as deep as anybody's, if you say, okay, you've got Brogdon and Turner and Sabonis, and then you're throwing in, let's just say, Duarte and Justin Holiday. That's, a, I think, a pretty good starting lineup. But that's not the starting lineup that can give you the type of season that I think this franchise feels like it's capable of. And so if those injury problems begin long-term, I worry that all of a sudden the starting five, which looks pretty darn dynamic to me on paper, has Brogdon, a really good player, Sabonis, a really good player, Turner, you know, a very good player, more on the defensive side than the offensive side, hopefully can stand in and, you know, and, and, and elevate his offensive game with the opportunity to get more reps. But I just worry that then all of a sudden this dynamic that you're trying to build around isn't there. And then the byproduct of that is a lot of what you're talking about. Then if you have to take Jeremy Lamb and Justin Holiday and put them into the starting five, then all of a sudden your second unit doesn't look as good. Like I think this team, if it has everybody healthy for the most part besides TJ Warren, is incredibly deep, is really dynamic, under Rick Carlisle is going to have a lot of success. Hopefully you're adding TJ Warren into the mix as the season goes on. If you can stay relatively healthy, I mean, I, I think I think that group has the ability to really cause problems um, in the conference. But the moment that the starting five all of a sudden loses a couple of those spots, and then you have to draw from the second unit, and then your second unit, which by the way, like if it's TJ McConnell and uh, Chris Duarte and Justin Holiday and Jeremy Lamb and Isaiah Jackson. Uh, I'm just throwing five names out there. Like, that sounds pretty good to me. All of a sudden, you have to snatch a couple of those guys in the second unit to the starting five, um, and the second unit doesn't look, um, you know, quite how it did previously. So I guess I'm worried about if, if the injuries don't, you know, subside, which – Again, I think the hope is that they will. We know that Karis LeVert won't play in the first four. I know the team is hopeful after that. If not game five, very close to that, they'll have him. Who knows, Holiday and um, and um, Lamb could be available on opening night. We don't know that yet. So the whole thought is all these are short-term, but if you continue to have those same injury problems, to me it causes an issue to the starters, which then causes an issue to the second string. And I'm not sure then depth, which is what your team really is built around, um, then is anywhere near the problem that it would be otherwise. I'll round out this pick three reasons for concern with the topic that Rick Carlisle actually brought up with us that I had not been thinking about until I heard him mention it, and it's the schedule to start the season. Let's just take a look at the first 20 games, and, and nobody is really uh, inside this building looking past the opener at Charlotte, and you do have an opportunity with that two-game road trip to start with Charlotte and Washington I would say those are two games where if you play well, you can win, and if you don't, you won't. And, I mean, maybe you could say that any night in the NBA, but this 20-game stretch to start is tough. I, I said to somebody a few days ago, the IU football team, the schedule they had to start this season has just been brutal, and people are going to say this is a, 
a bad IU team and a bad IU season. I mean, look at who they've played in their rankings. And then next up, they've got Ohio State and Michigan around the corner. Now, to transition to the NBA, the first thought I had when the schedule came out was look at November. And, and specifically the stretch from November 5th through the 22nd. You may never feel like you're home if you are a member of the traveling party because you got a four-game West Coast road trip, home for Philly. Then you leave for three more. You come home for a game against New Orleans, and then you play yet another road game. Of the first 20 games, 12 are on the road. You play teams like the Lakers, the Bucks, um, the Nets. The list goes on, and that's in addition to just those, those difficult road games that I mentioned. So it will be important for this team to – see the big picture, keep an open mind, not necessarily see their place in the standings. Nobody looks at standings through 20 games, but I do think that people are of the belief that through 20 games, it, it is a good look of who you are. And I think that the, these Pacers may be um, the outlier there. Through 20 games, let's say they're 8-12. and 12. I think they will be a better team than uh, you know, a 40-45% win team when all is said and done. But they've got to withstand the schedule. They've got to pick up the wins when they can. That's why I do think it's really important. Charlotte, Washington, home against Miami. Uh, you can't start 0-3. I mean, it'll be tough if that's the way this, this season starts. Now, we've seen this team two years ago, I think it was, started 0-3 and then maybe never lost three in a row again um, that season. I'm, I'm kind of spitballing here a little bit. But um, the start of the season, it will be challenging. It will be tough. They've got to take advantage of any opportunity they get. And then if they can get healthy, as you mentioned, um, it could set up in December to make up some ground. You know, it's so interesting, this team, I think, because as you go into this season, I've had trouble. Like, I feel like I had more strong opinions and or questions, uh, eager questions about most other teams that have been around. Like last year, um, you know, you had a brand new coach, uh, and you do this year too, but you had a, a very kind of outside the box hire. Um, you know, in previous years, you were bringing in players like Malcolm Brogdon, or there was the Paul George trade. And what I'm struggling with this year is like, I'm very confident in the roster. That roster's not totally healthy. I'm very confident in the head coach. Um, but the start of the season is pretty tough schedule wise. And so to me, it's hard to, you know, come up with themes and storylines for the year because I just keep coming back to like, well, how healthy are they? And if they're pretty healthy, I like the chances. And if they're not healthy, it's going to be really tough. And if they get totally healthy, I think they could be a major surprise team this year. But that's not really <laughs> analysis, you know. It's it's do do guys' bodies cooperate? Yeah. That's that's not. And so I think having that's why I've kind of struggled mentally with what to talk about in this podcast. A season preview podcast usually has just an abundance of topics, and to me, it's like, is the group healthy? And it'll be interesting to see what happens with Chris Duarte, and it'll be interesting to ha see what happens with Isaiah Jackson, and Rick Carlisle's imprint will be interesting to see, you know, um, you know, both right away and what he's able to come to, uh, but. Unless he gets his full group, it's going to be – or close to it. We're not going to have T.J. Warren for a while. But in, unless he gets his full group, it's going to be tough to you know, be able to see that potential. If he can get everybody but Warren, um, I, you know, I, I'm pretty optimistic for their chances. And I think it'll be good for us, hopefully here, to get to see a couple of weeks with what is hopefully a mostly healthy group and – to kind of see how they look perhaps different than last year. It's just, it's tough to take stuff out of the preseason when you've got such a standard group coming back now for two straight years and uh, the health aspect continues to be a problem. Like to me, it's just, to me, that's almost like base of the pyramid. And it has been for the last couple of years. Like you can look up the pyramid, but if your base isn't there, nothing else, um, you know, the foundation's not going to be set. So I, I, I wish I had more like interesting hot takes for this season coming up, but it really is how healthy can they be. And I will say my hot take is, um, you know, that if they can get close to and fully healthy with Rick Carlisle, I think it's a team that's being um, pretty drastically overlooked and maybe fairly so, um, you know, after, after missing the playoffs last year and going through a coaching change, that's typically not the type of team that all of a sudden teams are throwing into their top four, but it's also easy to forget. This was a team that was right there in those type of positions the previous couple of years too. So, um, you know, I, I guess I'm also spitballing, but I, I just, I'm struggling to analyze this group and get past the injury dynamic of it because I hope Duarte looks great. I hope Jackson 
Jackson looks great. I hope, you know, some of the moving pieces fit into place. But to me, it fortunately or unfortunately is all about health. And I uh, often have people come up to me and say, ah, are the Pacers going to be good this year? Is it going to be a good season? And I feel bad. But <laughs> my first answer has been the go to, well, if they can stop getting guys hurt or right. if they can get some guys healthy. And I don't think anybody wants to hear that. And it's, that's not the most optimistic you know, ticket sales it's method also not of that answering that question, but it is, it's really tough yeah. because this team as was currently constructed is built to be able to play really well with everybody on the court. And if you have multiple, I think mean, you could take one away and you're okay. But when do you start having multiple players hurt? Um, it, it does give you cause for concern. So we'll continue to monitor those things. We'll, we'll watch how the coaching staff uh, integrates new schemes and philosophies. And I guess they, I'll end by saying this is where you do maybe rely on continuity despite changes. And the players are trying to learn different schemes and philosophies, I think, on both ends of the floor. But there is some inherent chemistry there. DeMontis Sabonis knows that if he rolls the basket, T.J. McConnell is going to find him. Malcolm Brogdon, the players know if he can get to that free throw line or that um, elbow jumper that that's a spot for him that he can knock it down you know in late game situations who to go to or that really that anyone I think is confident there is some chemistry there and some continuity you need to rely on that and then hope that the veteran and the experience that most of this roster has can come through and pick up some of the slack while guys are wearing street clothes on the sidelines. So looking forward to it though. Um, any season presents its own challenges, its own questions, its own storylines. We will try to analyze some of those in a special one hour Bally sports pregame show on Wednesday night. Once again, the team will be in Charlotte. We will have coverage on the air at six o'clock. And I guess I should mention the continuity and the chemistry from broadcast perspective. Uh, we've got that on the radio side and the TV side as well. So that's, that's a reason to go into this season of coverage for us and be pretty excited. I think. And I just hope, that we stay healthy as well <laughs> because uh, that continuity is something that I certainly really value both uh, with you on the TV side and I'm the one guy that gets to like hop between the two so I get to see it work you know in both ends and oh, I guess Eddie Gill also I shouldn't forget about him he's hopping between the two also and Eddie by the way um, will be with us in all home games this year so it'll certainly sound a little different it's a little you know melancholy to even think about and to say knowing that Slick won't be joining us to start the year for the first time in an extremely long time and from a Pacers franchise perspective, um, you know, you're talking decades on decades, um, which is a little, uh, it's not a little sad, it's a lot sad, but, um, you know, we, we certainly miss him, but Eddie Gill, I think, has done such a good job of being a utility player almost sometimes comes with a negative connotation because it means, you know, they're not great at one thing. But Eddie, you know, steps in and, and does TV work with you for 30 minutes in the pregame, 60 minutes coming up. Um, here in the opener and then we'll go over and call a game with Mark which is a very different skill set and so I just want to give him a shout out and everybody um, else as well it's been great to have as you said some continuity here and um, thrilled to start the season on the radio side we will begin 30 minutes before as we normally do um, with every single game so if you're out and about in your car in the Indianapolis area or wherever in Indiana we have affiliates that cover most of the state um, we'd love to have you along for the ride and uh, what we hope will be a Pacers season that you know I guess as we come full circle here we'll be able to tell the stories better which I think you know that's our goal is to tell the stories in the most interesting um, and informative way that we can and if nothing else that is what has me the most excited to be able to do that again this season and in terms of continuity or maybe familiarity we are going to continue to have a sideline guys powered by Gainbridge each and every Wednesday for you via the same podcast channel so wherever you get sideline guys maybe you click on the Twitter link or maybe you are at Spotify or Apple, iTunes, whichever method you uh, get the sideline guys, you'll continue to do, th do that. But it is now powered by Gainbridge, so I expect it to be uh, a high-powered podcast this season. It certainly will, and we're very optimistic to be talking, uh, hopefully, with players and coaches a lot more often. The PR department has been um, tremendous with us in that regard and their willingness because we know that's a bigger ask. And so that's one thing that we are going to improve upon this year is have more of the players and coaches. We got Rick Carlisle. Um, a few weeks ago, and, I, and I'm going to tease this because I still need officially to, to get signed off on, but um, 
be on the lookout, hopefully, for some sort of contest here to start the year where um, nice. all you have to do is be subscribed and maybe you'll get in the building. Autograph. I, maybe I think I gear. might actually owe some people a Pat Boylan autograph picture. <laughs> I, don't I don't think that's... If was, you're listening now and you feel like you go to your mailbox every day waiting for that, l- let us know and I'll be sure to make good on that. You just killed my whole sales pitch. They were <laughs> all excited about tickets and maybe the chance to get a jersey. Well, they, yeah, there are always a variety of price <laughs> levels. What, what, what's the, uh, like, you know, the fantasy football when you, if you finish in last place, you get it's something? It's not quite like, <laughs> right, or even, uh, uh, oh, forget the game where you pick, you know, door number one, door number two, and door number three is like the, you know, dog poop or whatever. <laughs> you know. It's All the prizes are good, right? Why can I not even think of that game, game show? <laughs> oh. You would date, I guess I'm dating myself. Uh, you know what? I know what you're talking about, but it, I, I'm not going to get the door name. number one. Yeah. It's like a car, or you can take what's behind door door number two. It right. could be better than a car, or it could be. <laughs> well, bottom line, we will is, not have any bad prizes. No, there will be no bad prizes, and uh, ho- hopefully, um, as you know, as long as we can get this underway, some chances to get you in the building, um, some chances to get you in some Pacers gear. Hopefully, will be coming soon. And all you have to do is subscribe to this, and if uh, all you really need to do is follow uh, either of us on social media, we'll be um, tweeting out the contest. Hopefully, if we're able to get it um, underway and hey if you see us in the field house it's been uh, a little bit since we've been able to interact with any of you so please don't hesitate to say hi uh, you've got an hour-long pregame show coming up so we'll let you get back to work but any final thoughts here uh, before we tip off the season as we are recording this it would be 27 hours 28 hours 28 depending hours. upon when you listen to this wake up Wednesday or maybe continue throughout your day with a smile on your face knowing the Pacers play tonight, and there will be um, bumps in the road. There will be ebbs and flows, as there are for any NBA season. But we really appreciate you following. We know if you're still listening, actually, if you're listening to this podcast, but if you're still listening right now, you are the diehard. So I do want to say how much that I appreciate you for listening and for paying attention. I actually wanted to give a shout-out to some of the different podcasters that are out there that are that are following this team and providing content. Some are at practice, some are just – um, from afar, but I, I've enjoyed kind of following that that segment of the fan base, and we will continue to do everything we can to provide a little bit of an inside perspective. And I think when we're together a week from now, we'll have what four games to discuss. We can discuss how we've been broadcasting. It'll be two road games, two home games. Uh, we can discuss what it's been like to see fans again in the fieldhouse. So how much will have changed in one week? And that's the beauty of sports. We have no idea what's going to happen and we'll just watch it all unfold and tell you how it happened. Can't wait to do it again. If you are new to this or if you are rejoining us for another season, our plan is to continue to pump these out on Wednesdays. I think I look at the schedule. It's very like podcast friendly for the first uh, five or six weeks, maybe where the Tuesdays that we're talking are available sometimes when they play on Tuesdays uh, we have to have a quick turnaround on Wednesdays or heaven forbid they play both Tuesday and Wednesday it can be tough to get one out but we will do our very best in our digital team want to give them a quick shout out too. they do a great job of putting graphics together and and presenting all of this uh, we talk and I edit it together but they do a lot of work with it as well and our sponsorship team and of course um, you know Gainbridge for jumping on board I'm, I'm sure it maybe wasn't the one thing that moved the dial on getting Gainbridge as a partner I but- tend to think it was I mean <laughs> <laughs> if they're negotiating to put the sign on the building, I mean, straw that maybe, broke the camel's back. Yeah, it's in like, a positive context. Oh wait, you're going to give us the podcast sponsorship? We're in. <laughs> We'll tell ourselves that anyway. But nonetheless, we appreciate Gainbridge being on board. It's great to have them as our uh, title sponsor here, not only this year, but this is, a, uh, I think, a partnership that's going to last a very long time and certainly excited to have their name on the Fieldhouse. That'll wrap it up this week. For JJ, I'm Pat. We will talk to you next Wednesday on the Sideline Guys podcast.